Chapter 40 Finn wished the sailor on the deck would pass out. The thick of his thigh was a ruined mangle of flesh and bone and the shredded canvas of his pants. She couldn't tell what had hit him. A cannonball? Musket shot? Shrapnel? Maybe even a stray grappler's hook. Whatever the cause, the result was bloody. Jack wrapped a belt around the man's leg and cinched it tight. The belt stopped most of the blood flow, but it did little for the sailor's comfort. Though he didn't scream or speak, he kept his teeth clenched so tight that Finn worried he'd shatter them. Every few seconds his eyes went from jammed shut to stretched fully open and rolled up white. Then he trembled. Finn's stomach rolled over and made her look away. Get him to Thigham. Aye, Captain. Three sailors swept forward and muscled their crewmate into their arms. He slammed his eyes shut, went rigid, and moaned as they carried him away. Finn and Jack exchanged a troubled look. Jack opened his mouth to speak, but Finn pushed past him, following the sailors as they carried the wounded man below. Where's Defane? Jack called after her. His question begged more than a location. Finn broke her stride and stopped, turning her head as if to speak, but she couldn't think of an answer worth giving. Before Jack could ask again, she descended into Lucas Thigham's surgery. The room was filled with a chorus of sobs, cries, and groans. Puddles of blood had collected, and red boot prints were stamped and smeared across the deck. Thigham was bent over a wounded sailor. He drew one hand high into the air, and the needle between his fingers threw off a pinprick of the lantern's light. He was stitching the man closed. His bone saw lay bloody at hand. Finn spotted a tub at the head of the doctor's table, filled with a wreck of limbs that, like Jack's leg, had been cut away. A thin, wavering voice called out from the far corner of the surgery. Captain? A young sailor sat on the floor, leaning against the bulkhead, and he beckoned her. Captain? He said again. Finn remembered his face. It was Roberts, who had been so eager to please during the inspection only days before. His head was wrapped in a dirty bandage. He was young, younger than herself even. When she played for the crew in Madeira, he'd sat at her feet and smiled up at her like a child. Here he sat at her feet again, smiling in the aftermath of a different music, a chorus of cannon, a melody of violence, the music of the gun. I'm no captain, she said to him. Captain, you done it. His smile was so big, so innocent. How could he be smiling? We going home now, Captain? Now that you've done it? Finn covered her mouth with her hand. Her eyes stung with tears, but she couldn't let him see. She mastered herself and knelt beside the young man. He had a blanket pulled up over him, and except for the bandage around his head, he seemed uninjured. He extended one hand toward her and muttered about how she'd done it. Finn took his hand in hers and held it firmly. No, sailor, it's not done. We've still got work to do. She expected his smile to wane. She expected his anger or distress or frustration, but impossibly, his smile grew. His eyes brightened. Send me out, captain. Send me out and I'll go. I can work and fight and I'll do it till it's done and home we go. I'll do and do till doing's done. Finn nearly lost her composure again and had to look away. How could she ask more of him? How could she have asked anything at all? And here he was, smiling, like Bartimaeus at the gallows. 
The sailor pulled her close. Captain, help me get my boots on so as I can go with you, so as I can help. I can't find my boots, Captain. Finn looked down at the man's feet as he pulled his blanket aside, but there was nothing to see. Both of his legs were gone, below the knee. Finn let out a cry. She jerked upright and pinwheeled backward, catching herself against the bulkhead. I can do good, Captain. Just help me find my boots. I can do good, you'll see. Tears rushed up and she ran from the room. As she left, the last thing she saw was Lucas Thigham half-turned toward her in the light of his flickering lantern. His hair was matted, his eyes stony and deadened. The bone saw in his hand was sticky and blackened with gore. Like a figure out of nightmare, his shadow danced on the wall, poised and eager to cleave. Sometimes the wound must be cut to save the man, Thigham cried out. He sounded like a man pleading for mercy. The sailor on the table bucked at his restraints. His eyes were shot wide and white and full of the knowledge that the doctor saw was hungry and soon to eat. Cut the wound to save the man, Thigham cried again as Finn fled to her cabin. She wondered who he was trying to convince. The door to her cabin stood open. She wanted to retreat into solitude and cry, but Jack sat at the table with his arms crossed into a barricade before him. His eyes were on her the moment Finn entered, and she couldn't hide from them. The tears on her face didn't soften Jack's resolve. They didn't even dent it. Sit! It was an order. Jack hadn't spoken to her in that severe and expectant tone since before the signing of the Robin. Since she'd been named captain, he'd obliged, deferred, and held his tongue. But no more. Finn sat. She bore a seemingly endless endurance of Jack's stare that put her in mind of days long past when she sat before Sister Hilda awaiting judgment. Where's Defane? He's gone. Gone how? Finn chewed her bottom lip and didn't answer. Jack shifted in his chair and asked again, Gone how? It went bad, Jack. We had to run and... And what? He couldn't keep up. So you left him? Finn pulled her head up and straight. He left me. Not the other way around. He turned back and wouldn't come. He left me. Jack settled in his chair and twisted his brow into a knot over his eyes. And what about the Countess? We barely even got through the gate. Jack grunted, a sound that Finn translated as a lack of surprise. So we got a dozen men dead and half the ship blowed apart for nothing. How bad is it? Jack shrugged. The mizzen splintered and unlike to fly sail again. Something sprung below and water's coming in steady. Boys will be sore the bilge before we find a port for repair. Half the sails got holes torn through. Most of the riggins got shot up. Jack let out a long breath. He uncrossed his arms and pressed his fingers against his forehead. Oh, she's ragged and broke. We're lucky she's yet afloat. Finn and Jack sat in silence for a while before Jack spoke again. You best pray we don't come afoul of pirates before we find safe harborage. We'll not sail free of another fight. Again, they were silent. They each huddled into their chairs, unmoving, waiting for the other to speak. Finn was tired and numb. Well, what do you aim we should do now? Jack asked. 
Finn raised her head and looked at him. Her face was reddened and wet. She wiped at her eyes, but they wouldn't clear. I don't know, Jack. If she'd had the strength, she'd have yelled it. I'd never known. Why are you even asking me? They might call me captain out there. She pointed at the door. But you know better. She jabbed her finger at him. You know better. I, I do. Jack straightened and gathered himself up. He put his great hands on his knees and leaned toward Finn. I do, and I said so, and you wouldn't hear it. His words stung her. Finn opened her mouth to defend herself, but held her tongue because nothing she could say would absolve her. Armand's gone, and good riddance. Never naught but poison in the water was that one. Jack stabbed a sausage-sized finger at her. And you know it, Button. Jack stood and stomped his mechanical leg on the ground to reseat the stump of his leg. He muttered to himself and tried to pace the room, but the exertion and inconvenience of kicking his leg around made him give up. He stopped and propped himself on the table with one arm. We need to make for Sicily. What we'll do when we get there is beyond me. That letter from your Congress won't do us any good there, and we got nothing in the hold to trade. Jack ran his hands through his hair and blew air out of his nose. Then he snorted. Finn looked up, wondering what was wrong with him. His head was down, and his massive, ox-like shoulders were shuddering. Finn thought he was crying. But when Jack finally lifted his head, she saw he had mirth in his face. Thunderous laughter pealed out of him, and he shook with it. When he saw the question in her eyes, he reined himself in and took two deep breaths to calm himself. Ha ha ha! Armand was our navigator. Ain't that something? Several more bolts of laughter sparked out of him, and he brought one hand down on his mechanical knee. Ha ha! Our navigator! And you lost him! Finn didn't see the humor. We'll pick up a new one in Sicily. Oh, we will, will we? And how will we ever find Sicily without one? Jack's laughter faded away, and he became stark and serious. This ain't our coast, Button. Back home, any man can reckon north and south, spot the seaboard by landmark, but here's a stranger sea. I don't know it. Topper don't know it. Sicily's somewhere to the north, but without someone to scry and math and plot the course, we'll as sure sail past it in the night as ground ourselves on a shoal. So what do we do? Jack collapsed back into his chair and bent over to cradle his head between his hands. I'll have the boys bring in sail so as we don't go blind into the broad side of an island. In the morning, I reckon we aim us north and hope for the best. Jack looked up at Finn. Maybe things will look some clearer come tomorrow. Finn nodded and stared at the floor, but as Jack left the cabin, she stopped him. I'm sorry, Jack. Jack didn't answer. The door closed behind him with a merciless rattle. It was late, but Finn had no notion of whether it was high midnight or near dawn. Sleep eluded her. As she lay in her bed, she could feel the ship's lack of momentum. The Mediterranean swept the fiddler's green from side to side, and without forward motion for stability, the world seemed to bobble and wash aimlessly. Without Armand to navigate, there was no telling where they'd end up. Good riddance, Jack had said, and although Finn felt the same, she also felt a new rope of guilt tied up inside of her. She was glad to be free of his whispering, and yet the torment she'd abandoned him to was unthinkable.
He'd even asked her to kill him. He'd asked it as a mercy and she withheld it. She couldn't do it. She hoped he'd died quickly. The knot of guilt winding its way through her was redoubled and multiplied by each of the sailors killed and each one cut in the surgery. They'd come here to mount a rescue of one person, and she'd already lost thirteen others. No more, Finn told herself. No more. Cut the wound to save the man. She wouldn't let anyone else suffer or die while she was trying to be someone she wasn't. Finn gave up trying to sleep. The fiddle case lay beneath the bed waiting for her. She knelt down and drew it out. She needed music to stretch and unwind her, to pull her straight and true. Out, into the cool night she went, case in hand. Under the moonless sky the sea was a dark expanse, more felt than seen. The deck was unusually quiet, but she didn't mind. She didn't want sailors crowding around her as she played. She wanted to be alone under the stars and let the music lead her. She crossed the quarterdeck and paused at the helm. It was unmanned. She should scold someone, but secretly she was thankful. She didn't want to speak, and would certainly have been spoken to had the watch's helmsman been at his post. She went to the poop deck and set the case next to the transom rail. Her foot struck something soft. She stared down and waited for her eyes to gather in enough light to see. In the darkness, she made out the faint definition of a form. A sailor was lying against the rail, asleep on his watch. Normally, Finn would have prodded him awake and berated him, but she let him sleep. After the day's bloody wreck, he deserved a respite. They all did. Finn sat down and folded her legs. The deck was wet and she bristled as the seat of her pants soaked through. She put one hand to the deck and frowned. Just her luck, she'd found quite a puddle. It wasn't until she wiped her hand on her shirt that she wondered at how warm the water was. An icy finger tickled the back of her mind. She stretched her hand into the darkness and delicately touched the sailor sleeping at the rail. He didn't move. She prodded his shoulder. Still, he didn't move. She took him by both arms and shook him. She touched his face. The skin was warm, but her eyes finally gathered enough light to form a clear picture, and what she saw made her cry out. The man's throat was cut. Blood pooled around him and glistened in the starlight. Surely they hadn't left him here when they collected the wounded and the dead. She knew they hadn't. She'd walked the entire deck herself, etching each dead or wounded sailor's face into her mind. Someone had killed this man, and very recently. She sped lightly across the deck. The helm was still unmanned, but the third watch helmsman was a big man, much bigger than the dead sailor. She tiptoed to the starboard rail. There were two vessels tied alongside. Small ships, gaff-rigged, with black sails and oars. Barbary pirates. Finn ran to the quarterdeck bell and rang it. To arms! To arms! she yelled out. She tried to sound like Jack, full of authority and menace, but what came out sounded like a mockery. Jack! she cried. Topper! As she rang the bell, the deck exploded with life. There were Barbary pirates everywhere. Until she sounded the alarm, they'd been quiet, moving slowly in the darkness. Now they cast off their stealth and sped to their work. They gathered blades and ran toward her. Jack clanked out of a hatch with a lantern held high. Light spilled across the deck. 
The crew of the watch lay prone, arranged like cargo, tied and gagged. Some looked unconscious or dead, but most struggled against their bonds and chewed at their gags. A group of pirates stood along the rail, passing captured crewmen down into the slave holds of their ships. The fiddler's green's rigging swung free in the air. It had all been cut, and the ropes hung like dead vines swaying in the wind. A pirate raced up the ladder. Finn met him with a kick and sent him back down. He crashed into the men below, and they tumbled into a heap. Jack! she called again. He was on the deck amidships. He hung the lantern and hop-charged into three pirates. Two went down under his fists. The third swung a scimitar and knocked Jack's mechanical leg loose. It skidded across the deck and clanked against the rail. Jack collapsed and another pirate clubbed him on the head. The rest of the crew emerged from below. They erupted out of the lower decks armed and infuried. But the pirates were ready for them. Muskets sputtered out sharp blue flashes of light. The crew broke under the gunfire and the pirates rushed. Men scattered across the ship in chaotic chase. As Finn watched in horror, a man hauled himself onto the poop deck beside her. She threw back her fist, but he was no pirate, yet neither was he one of the crew. It was Phineas Button. He wrapped his arms around her. Finn struggled to break free, but he gripped her like a vice and dragged her aft. She kicked and screamed and demanded to be let loose. The crew was dying. She couldn't fail them again. They needed her help and she'd die trying. But he wouldn't ease his grip. He dragged her, kicking, biting, and howling toward the rail. At the forecastle, fire bloomed and raced up the lines into the sails. The flames illumined horrors on deck. Men tied like animals. Men cut and hacked and hurled into the sea. Her men, running, pleading, dying. Firelight danced in the rigging. Burning embers drifted down into the madness like an accursed rain. Let me go, shouted Finn. But Phineas pulled her relentlessly onward, and then with a shove, she was falling. She struck the water and it knocked the wind from her lungs. Seawater rushed down her throat. Then there were hands on her again, pulling her upward. Her face broke the surface, and she gulped in mouthfuls of air. Phineas Button was with her, his arm under her chin. He clung to one of the ship's cut lines and held them afloat. Finn stopped fighting. She hung limp in his grip and looked up at the shadows in the orange smoke as they shuddered and flitted over the deck. The fire spread. It engulfed the ship. Muffled screams and shouts echoed distant and otherworldly through the hull. The two pirate ships slipped from behind the fiddler's green and slid quietly into the night. As her ship burned, Finn hung from Phineas Button's arm helpless. The blaze crackled and wailed. A black column of smoke twisted upward like a pillar of hell. In flashes and infernal hues, the cloud whirled and spouted and stabbed at the heavens. And then amid the groaning of the immolation, the flames breached the powder magazine and detonated it. A blinding luminance billowed skyward. In a thundering instant, the ship was unmade, shivered to flinders. A rain of flotsam spattered into the sea, and darkness followed. When the phantoms of the explosion's brilliance cleared from her sight, the night was eerily quiet. The blast had thrown them across the water. Phineas Button lost his grip on her and she slipped away. His strength was gone. He bobbed up and down, struggling to keep his head above the water. But there were only moments left to him. He would go down as surely as the wreck of the ship. 
Finn reached out and took him. She wrapped her arm around his chest and began to swim. Without any idea where to or what for, she swam. And when she came to the end of her strength, she too flailed and dipped and struggled, straining upward toward the precious air. The muscles of her legs burned out, and she slipped beneath the surface, holding her final breath long and dear. Images of Peter flickered in her mind, and she wished she could apologize to him. In a last act of hope or stubbornness or defiance, she reached heavenward with her hand, raised it to the watching stars as if to wave farewell, and her hand came against wood. A hard corner in the formless deep struck her. She seized upon it, pulled herself toward it. She broke the surface and gulped in the night air. The fiddle case bobbed lively in the water, and she clung to it. The night wind sighed and licked at her face. She pulled Phineas Button close and held him. When the sun rose, Finn was thankful. The world opened up beneath it, released her from the close walls of the night, but her thanks only extended to mid-morning. The sun was a tyrant's eye, wide and bright, trained on the intruder in his realm, searing her with an unrelenting glare. She dipped her face into the water for relief. Salt stung her lips where they had begun to split. Phineas faded in and out of consciousness. The wounds on his back had yet to fully heal, and though he never complained, Finn knew the salt burned and pricked at them. She found a length of rope in the flotsam and lashed him atop a drifting timber. With another length, she tethered him to the fiddle case so she could rest and not worry that she'd lose him. Why had he saved her? Why had she saved him? Why did she care at all? At times she came close to cutting him loose to drift alone, but even as she allowed such thoughts to sweep her along, she found that in the midst of the reverie, she would pull him close to stroke his face or spoon water across his sun-ravaged skin. At times he woke. When he did, he coughed and sputtered and looked around, but his eyes wouldn't linger on her, and he never spoke. Even when she tried to ask him how he felt or what he thought of their situation, he maintained silence. At night, the sky collapsed in upon them. The earth and sea became as small as the reach of an arm, and because sleep was nearly impossible, the night was a waking nightmare. Fear crept into them. How long could a person live afloat? How long could she thirst and not slake? How long could her belly complain before her body surrendered? No matter how long she could hold against such things, her father would fail far more quickly. And in that consideration, she finally began to think of him with that word, Father. At first, she cursed herself when her mind allowed him the title. But slowly, she gave way and accepted it. Whatever he was, however wretched, however empty or hollow, he had given her life. And more, no matter what his reason, he had sought her out. Surely that endeavor had earned him the title, if nothing more. When the sun rose again, Finn saw that he didn't intend to live through the day. He had resigned himself to his end. Finn saw it in the way he lay. He no longer attempted to comfort himself or shield himself from the sun's battery. He was a man jealous for the grave. And yet, at times, he'd rouse and pull upon the rope between them 
as if to reassure himself that they were fast together. Then he'd relent once more and lay exposed like an offering. For the first day, Finn kept a vigilant watch for passing ships, but by the second she had accepted the reality that even if she did spot a sail, it was false hope. A ship would have to come directly upon them, or they would never be seen at all. Without the hope of rescue to order her mind, she fell into delusion. At times she saw Hilda standing over her, her nose waggled and quivered, and she thrust a bony finger at Finn in accusation. Once she thought she saw Peter nearby, just over the next wave. He was struggling to keep his head above the water. Each time the waves parted between them, she cried out, but he didn't hear her. His head slipped under, and when the waves parted again, he was gone. Finn called to him for hours in her delirium. She even saw the sea itself change. It became a green field that stretched to the horizon in every direction. The wind blew across the grass and it undulated and rippled. Far in the distance, Finn thought she saw a house, small and humble on the plain. She tried to swim toward it, but the distance was too great, and even in her visions she despaired. What Finn didn't know and couldn't have seen from her waterline view was that the Fiddler's Green had accomplished one last act in the service of her captain. She had left a trail. The flotsam of the wreck, though dispersed by great ocean currents and invisible to Finn, stretched out in a line for miles. Broken timbers, barrels, remnants of sail, shattered furniture, sea chests of the dead, and the dead themselves, splayed in the water. A road of refuse extending to the horizon. It was this watery road that the Esprit de la Mer came across and turned to follow. When Finn heard sailors' voices calling out, she shook her head and ordered them away. She damned them as visions and phantoms, but the voices wouldn't be driven, and soon they had forms and faces to accompany them. A stranger's arms pulled her from the sea. The arms lifted her gently and cradled her head against harm. She saw Phineas Button borne along beside her. His jaw was slack, his body limp and dangling. She was carried out of the sun's assault and laid upon a soft surface and beneath light that didn't burn. Water. Cool water. It dripped through her lips and ignited life upon her tongue. A wave of luxuriance spread through her body. More drops rained into her and she buckled and shuddered with the goodness of it. Water. So simple, so pure. It flowed down and wound into her and created her anew. When her mind and vision resolved, her surroundings took on definition. A ship, a cabin, a portal on the wall, a beautiful face looking down, bright eyes set deep. It was a man's face, not a young man, but neither an old one. His beard was light and short. It framed his smile and didn't obscure it. The man spoke. My name is Jeannot Batolf, and in the name of God... I have drawn you from the sea.